Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Laird Nicky and <laughs> I am joined by the man who once got very excited when he secured tickets for the ITV event An Evening with Pat Roach. <laughs> you can imagine his disappointment when he ended up spending his night with a bunch of sweaty, emo teenagers watching Papa Roach. <laughs> it's Greg. How are you today, Greg? I'm good. I'm good. I've been, um, I was just saying there, for the busy morning, I was watching my children perform. They go to a dance school here in Dubai. It was, there's like, because like, they, they start from, I think, about five. So that you have to sit through performances of like the little, little kids. Mm. And, you know, they're doing their best. Um, and then and then you have like the 17 and 18 year olds that, um, you know, sort of give you some kind of troubling thoughts, but uh, <laughs> the um, I was watching like the the little kids this morning, and there was a little boy. There's maybe about twenty of them on the stage, and they're dancing to a song from Disney's uh, Princess and the Frog. And this little boy, I mean, I think he's about four or five, and he starts like super enthusiastic, but the last sort of. 40 seconds of the song <laughs> he just can't be arsed you can tell he's just he's just he's completely lost interest he's trying to see if he can see his mum and dad in the crowd he's sort of like half-heartedly joining in every, it's like every now and again he remembers that he's on stage and he's supposed to be doing something <laughs> it's really funny yeah my daughter um she's quite keen on what they call acro which i guess is sort of like a combination of dancing and acro it's sort of like gymnastics um but okay. i think probably like nine out of ten of us her fear of trying these stunts is rooted in her perhaps hurting herself because um, I know the only thing preventing me from doing a backflip apart from strength, skill, coordination and flexibility is the fear that I'll break my neck. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, she's, she's, I will see. She might, she might, she might have a go at it in the next semester. I think she can, she can do a one-handed cartwheel, um, but that's about as far as it goes. Oh, hey, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the last time I uh, attempted a backflip, it was on a trampoline that my niece got for Christmas. Right. And I ended up, uh, I think, spending the next six months at the chiropractor um, <laughs> because I genuinely landed on my neck. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it could have gone quite badly, yep. but uh, yeah, I haven't been on a trampoline since then. No, I know what you mean. Like, it looks like, I think they make it look easy, these guys and girls that are really good at it they sort of i think probably we're old enough now to know better but i know that maybe sort of 20 years ago after quite a lot to drink if there was space or a trampoline or a bouncy castle we might be like oh just have a go at it you know and it would always and it would obviously end in disaster <laughs> and recrimination but uh, uh, we were, we've been watching this documentary on Netflix called Cheer, um, and it's about competitive cheerleading in the States. And uh, some of the stuff that especially the girls do, like in terms of like the stunts and the backflips and stuff, it's, like, it's amazing. But it, in the first series, you would see them when it goes wrong. You know when they kind of wipe out, and I mean it's just, and like they seriously hurt themselves, like broken elbows. 
broken knees, like concussions, neck injuries, and all that sort of thing. But then in the second series, I don't know, but they didn't really show any any of that. And they had, they had like some new kids that weren't in the first series. So I, I don't know. I think I think maybe they thought, well, maybe this is an opportunity to get people interested in cheerleading. And uh, maybe we shouldn't maybe we shouldn't show people with like <laughs> elbow bones poking through the skin and <laughs> you know what I mean? knocked out. But um, but yeah, so that's how I spent my morning watching uh, varying degrees of skilled dancing. Fantastic. Well, that sounds like a wonderful way to spend your Saturday morning getting strange thoughts <laughs> Troubling about thoughts. 17, 18 year old girls <laughs> doing the jive. <laughs> doing the jive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know what they were doing. Let's just say they were doing the jive. Okay. Jitterbugging. Um, <laughs> like wham. <laughs> Okay, um, I think we'll leave that yeah. there. Um, okay, on that note, shall we have a look at what's been happening on Scotland the last couple of weeks? Uh, yep, we should do, but first before we do, I've got a very, 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 very rapid book recommendation. Um, so okay. this week I've been reading The Young Team by Graham Armstrong, uh, which is, mm. Graham Armstrong's a Scottish writer. Uh, the book's set in Airdrie, Um and involves the activities of like a of like a gang of young guys over a number of years. The writing style owes everything to train spotting, the way it's written. But mm. um it's very good. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. So uh get on it if you haven't already, listeners. Um, and obviously Nikki, when you add it to your pile of books to read. Well there we go. And there's our book <laughs> recommendation of the week. Um I do have it on my Kindle, but I just hadn't got round to reading it yet. But it, it's definitely on my list to read because I've heard lots of good things about it. I know you'll enjoy it. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. I have digressed um from the usual formula. So cue the jingle. <laughs> This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, so what have you seen in the last couple of weeks in Scotland that has caught your eye? Okay, well, my first story comes from Glasgow Live on the 8th of March of this year. Uh, The headline reads, Near-naked Glasgow man found hiding inside roll of linoleum in his boxer shorts. (laughs) Uh, This uh, is Christopher MacDonald. He broke into his girlfriend's house and was found by police uh, in his pants wrapped up in the roll of linoleum. Girlfriend's name is Melissa MacDonald. He broke into her house in Penny Lee in Glasgow after earlier being caught trying to climb through a window. She returned home to find items belonging to the 27-year-old in her house and contacted the police. Officers showed up and found the almost naked intruder hiding inside, hiding under a worktop. MacDonald pled guilty at Glasgow Sheriff Courts, behaving in a threatening and abusive manner and breaching his bail conditions. Uh, The court heard that the pair were together for four years. Melissa heard a loud banging coming from outside at 4pm on the 19th of September 2020. She clocked MacDonald trying to get through the window, but she did not want him to gain entry. So she closed the window before leaving the property and returned an hour later. She noticed there was a package in her house that did not belong to her. And she also spotted trainers, which she knew belonged to McDonald, which caused her to call 999. Uh, The prosecutor, Jenny Reid, said, On entering the kitchen, the the officers observed McDonald's shoulder sticking out from the rolled-up linoleum. (laughs) This had been stored under a kitchen worktop. The linoleum was removed 
An officer's found McDonald in it, wrapped up in a ball, while in a state of undress with only his boxers on. McDonald then grabbed a knife before being arrested by the police. Joanne McMillan, defending, told the court that McDonald was intoxicated through drink and drugs, and he is extremely sorry for his actions. Um, Sheriff Simone Sweeney tagged McDonald, who lives in Deniston, for 163 days. He's got to stay in the house between 7pm and 7am, and he's got to do 180 hours of unpaid work and put under supervision for 12 months. So... When I read this, I had a kind of vision of him thinking, I'll hide in this roll of linoleum and sort of spreading it out on the kitchen floor, kind of grabbing an end of it and sort of rolling himself up, then realising that he's roasting because he's got all these gear on. So unrolling himself, stripping down to his boxers and then rolling himself back up again, thinking he'd uh, he'd got away with the perfect hidey hole. So in terms of the description, what was he doing? Like hiding in a corner <laughs> so it looked like a a stacked up roll of linoleum or had he rolled himself up so it was just like a cartoon where he's like a, a bump in the <laughs> yeah like like when a w- w- when a snake eats a goat or something <laughs> you know like, um. it's like a case of i can't see them so they can't see me yeah. type thing like like playing hide and seek with a child the linoleum was underneath a kitchen worktop and he seems to have sort of got underneath it kind of uh, assumed the fetal position, <laughs> but left his shoulder sticking out. <laughs> his muscular shoulders gave him away. <laughs> yeah, that c- unfortunately, you can only assume that's what happened. You can imagine, like he's so he's he's gone into the house, but he's left his shoes there, <laughs> and it's left like a box of stuff. Like ah, oh, she won't know I'm here. <laughs> but then she's heard him come in. He's heard her come back in. He's thought, oh fuck. <laughs> I'll, I need to hide. I'll just wrap myself in this linoleum. Not forgetting that he's left his fucking shoes by the door. I mean, I, I, I don't really know what his end game was. Maybe Unless he intended on living in her house in secret, like <laughs> a, some, some sort of like neddy borrower only coming out at night when she's in bed and stuff. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he's going to pretend that he's a standard lamp next or you know an, an ottoman or something like just blending in with the furniture around the house i think the one thing that we know for sure from reading the article is that he was well and truly off his tits at the time um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, perhaps not thinking clearly well, I would imagine not if he grabbed a knife when the, the police came in. That's the could have taken a dark turn, but was he trying to cut out a bit of linoleum <laughs> that he could <laughs> throw as a yeah. weapon? It's, it's <laughs> trying to freeze other shoulder from the linoleum so he could <laughs> surrender to the police. I mean, I don't understand why any because why anybody in any country around the world thinks that squaring up to the police either armed or unarmed is ever going to end well for them ever no it's not. <laughs> do you know what i mean so yep that's old christopher looks like he got what oh. he deserved for his misdemeanors there what's your for oh bless. <laughs> what's your first story this week uh well i'm gonna take us to Irvine this week uh, greg have you ever been to Irvine beach uh, yes, many years ago. Oh, have you? Yeah. Did you see many sights when you were at Irvine Beach? Um, I mean, uh, we're talking probably when I was a wee boy. So I don't. I, th- I think mm. we went to the shows one summer. I, th- I think the shows uh, were on Irvine Beach, the the, the, the carnival. Um, so uh, I feel like my mom, my stepmom, and my dad went once 
to Irving Beach. Okay. Uh, maybe it was the wrong time of day. Because I want to tell you uh, from the Air Advertiser this week um, about a man who exposed himself in a sexual manner <laughs> at a seafront car park right. at Irving Beach, was let off with a fine after the court heard that similar acts take place daily. Uh, Stephen Gillis, 62, right. pleaded guilty, fair play Stephen, you know, you were caught, uh, to intentionally exposing his genitals to the alarm of another man at the Irvin <laughs> Beach car park on February the 18th, 2022. When Gillis's case was called at Kilmarnock Sheriff Court last week, uh, Gillis, who had previously pleaded guilty to the charge, his defence solicitor said that in his view, his client should not be placed on the sex offenders register. Uh, his solicitor said that his client had committed an error in an area where it's common knowledge that this behaviour takes place daily. He said, I would invite your lordship to do one of two things, a short community order or simply mark the offence as an admonishment and dismiss him. It's fair to say that this experience of being in court in front of the public gallery is punishment enough. It was a gross error in a place where it's common knowledge that this sort of incident takes place daily. Uh, the sheriff said, I'll deal with this today, and in that way, I will draw a line under the matter. Uh, so he did say that he was not going to give him a custodial sentence or place him on a register, but he did fine him £320. <laughs> so apparently, it's a daily occurrence that people go to Irvin Beach Park and get their cock out. <laughs> Um, but why? I mean, what is there about? Is, is there some sort of sexy pheromone or something blown about there? That's I've, I've no idea, but the defence basically said that this takes place daily and the judge has said, yeah, yeah, yeah you're right, actually. I've, <laughs> I've been there. I've seen it. <laughs> what? So, you know what? <laughs> what, what? The judge didn't say that. I'm putting oh. that. You know, I'm adding words to this, uh, this story. <laughs> the judge didn't say that. But the judge has basically acknowledged this and says, yeah, okay, you know what? We'll draw a line under it. We're not going to put you on a register. We're not going to give you a custodial sentence. 320 quid. There you go. And I, I am pretty sure that Stephen probably went out the next day and did the same. <laughs> I just love the phrase, uh, expose themselves in a sexual manner to another man's alarm. <laughs> just... Yeah. Does that like, look like... <laughs> so this poor guy was just parking his car and he's turned around and there's Stephen with his cock out and... Oh Jesus! I'm frightened. Maybe maybe Stephen's got a massive knob, and that's what alarmed him. Well, I mean, we'd... or maybe it's very small, and that alarmed him as well. <laughs> I mean, you know, I have heard of people who are quite proud of their uh, cocks getting them out, particularly when they used to live in Aberdeen. We've spoken about an old friend of ours before who uh, would like to give you a tap on the shoulder and the dance floor just to let you know that uh, he'd got his cock out whilst you can't touch this by MC Hammer was being played by the DJ. Um, Oh, that was the Little John's fellow, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that, that guy from Little John's. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I've, I've got to be honest, I've, I've never never felt compelled to ever do anything like that. But I, like I said before, perhaps there's some sort of uh, sexy pheromone blown around uh, Irving Beach that compels guys to get their cocks out. <laughs> Better to have a regular occurrence. Who knows? <laughs> I've no idea, but it happens daily. So if you are in Scotland and you're around Irvine Beach area yeah. and you'd like to see a penis, then head to Irvine Beach Car Park where you'll get to see one daily. <laughs> I, I, I don't know the time. Hey, if you go to Irvin Beach and you get to see the, the cock o'clock, <laughs> then if you can drop us a line 
on cultureswally at gmail.com, then we will be able to update our listeners on the next episode of What Time You Can See a Cock at Irvine Beach Car Park. <laughs> okay. Uh, when it, when it, and let, in fact, and if you do, can you ask him if his name's Stephen? Because I want to know if he's a repeat offender. <laughs> yeah. So we, so we can stick him in. When, whenever I think of Irvin, I always think of uh, there used to be a leisure center there called the Magnum Center. And I remember. Okay. It was it was probably in the mid eighties when you know like swim pools in Scotland were just sort of straight exercise swim pools like the, like the Bonacord baths in Aberdeen. Um, hmm, yeah. And then sort of these sort of new style leisure centers started to open that had like flumes or or shoots yeah. as we used to call them. And um, I remember my. My dad and I going over to have a look at this Magnum Centre. So it was, you know, they opened and they had slides. And people were going down the slides on mats because we could watch from the gallery. And I remember saying to my dad, why are they going down the slides on mats? And my father telling me a very apocryphal, well, in hindsight, it's an apocryphal tale, um, that people were sticking razor blades through, because the flumens went outside and back in again. Um, People were sticking razor blades through the slides. And so people had to go down on mats to protect themselves. I've since heard that. It's become a bit of an urban myth, that, um, about people sticking razor blades through flumes. Um, But I never, ever, ever got to try the flumes uh, at Irvine. Um, and I did read last year that the, the Magnum Centre has been knocked down now. It's not there anymore. So I, I never will. Um, but it was always a source of great regret when I was young that I never got to go down Aww. the slides. At, uh, but I did get to go to the time capsule in Coatbridge, which was, I think, probably a lot better. Ah, oh, never mind. Okay, what's your next story this week? Well, f- funnily enough, after all that about um, the beach and about the Magnum Centre, uh, this story... This story also concerns swimming. Uh, this is from the Herald, which probably the first time we've had such a intelligent <laughs> newspaper in any of our stories. But the, the headline is, Birds steal Scottish skinny dippers' underwear to line their nests. Uh, a popular skinny dipping gorge in Scotland's Angus region has quite literally gone to the birds, thanks to sneaky avians that swipe cast aside Socks and pants from the nearby rocks. The dastardly thieves are a pair of red kites uh, which live at a famous estate called Ganochi near the Scottish village of Edsel. Last year, David Clement, a gamekeeper at Ganochi, had the birds' babies ringed and recorded, and inside their nest, high atop a larch tree, were underwear and socks that the kites had swiped from the gorge. The enterprise and birds had used the clothing to line their nest and laid their eggs on top of the unmentionables. See, only only like this, only the Herald would have a word like unmentionables for underwear. You know, unmentionables. I, know. I feel yeah. like such a Tory. Uh, <laughs> this year, thanks to ongoing monitoring, even more socks and underwear have been found in their area, including a pair of Armani underpants, which means the greedy kites have developed a taste for the finer things in life. I'm not sure that's what it means. Four new chicks were spotted too. Will this nefarious cycle of underwear theft continue to grow? As the kite's brood expands, only time and a few more chilly swimmers will tell. So they're quite quite a nicely written article there, but better than what we usually get in the Scottish Sun. <laughs> the Falkirk, yeah, it's very high. Or the Falkirk Herald. The Falkirk Herald. Yeah. 
<laughs> a very highbrow, especially. We'll need to remember that unmentionables. unmentionables. That's a. I've read, what would we we be used to on the swally? Like scants, <laughs> scants, or. <laughs> undergarments maybe <laughs> that's a bit too yeah. posh as well uh skittery scans yeah. would probably be the what we're used to on the swally oh wow okay so um yeah so we've got some uh, seagulls effectively doing red the, kites what they uh, sorry kites um doing the the old kind of nicking panties off the washing line type thing that perverts <laughs> yeah was it called snow dropping is that what they used to call it it's nicking clothes i i had no idea that there was a term yeah. for it but thank you for bringing that into my life <laughs> snow dropping yeah why do we know why that's called snow dropping? I, I, I don't know but um i know that the the act of stealing clothes from washing lines is known as snow dropping in the west of scotland and in fact okay. when we um when we covered the big man and uh, sorry not the big man, the wee man, um, with uh, Martin Comston. In the, the early scenes with um, Dennis Lawson, he remarks to Claire Grogan that snowdroppers had stolen his good shirt off the washing line. Ah, so, okay, yeah. yeah. Remember that, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, no, I think if it had been seagulls stealing the, the unmentionables, the Herald Scotland probably wouldn't have bothered covering it, but because it's a, a highbrow bird, like a red kite, um, yeah. it's obviously news. Uh, for the readership of the Herald. Um, if it had been seagulls, it had been in the Scottish sun. <laughs> yeah. And it's good to know that they've got taste, obviously, if they're stealing Armani oh, yeah. underwear. Absolutely. Like, and they're just leaving, like the Primark scant line on <laughs> yeah. the, the washing line. They're just going for the Armani and Calvin Klein's. Yeah. They've obviously got good taste. I mean, I guess it's a, a, a better quality cotton for them to make their nest out yeah, of. Yeah, they don't want to they don't want to rest their their, their eggs on a, like a, a gusset from Georgia Asda or something like that. You know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's the sort of thing that pigeons would do, but not red kites. <laughs> no, of course not, no. Definitely not. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> so that's so that's my second story. What's your next story this week? I've got a story from the Daily Record this week. Um and we're gonna go with Falkirk again. <laughs> uh so this is a young man who urinated on his mother's doorstep and smashed a plant pot off her door, was spared jail, but branded disgusting by the sheriff today. Declan Hogg, 25, appeared for sentence at Falkirk Sheriff Court after turning up under the influence of alcohol at his mum's house in Slamanen near Falkirk, and he wasn't allowed in. He began swearing at the front door and shouted, you're a fat whore, I'm going to piss against your door. Um, he's a poet and he doesn't know it. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's like, a, it's like, it's like a haiku. It's, I don't know how many, it's enough similar, it's, it's too many syllables in it for, for it to be a haiku maybe, I don't know. Yeah, you're a fat whore, I'm going to piss against your door. Uh, during the ordeal in September the 26th, 2020, prosecutor Catherine Fraser told an earlier hearing in the case, he smashed a plant pot against the window in the door, causing damage to both. I'd imagine if you're smashing a plant pot against a door, it's going to cause damage somewhere um and, and then sorry i have to pause to read this <laughs> these are genuine words and then in a display of poor lavatorial etiquette he did in fact urinate against the door um, so, uh, he then went round the back of the house and tried to get in through the back door shouting and picking up a football and throwing it against the kitchen window which upset a 10 year old um son of a neighbor 
who saw what was going on. Police were called and hearing sirens, Hogg climbed over his mother's back garden fence to flee. Uh, Mrs. Fraser said he was eventually arrested and whilst being transported to the custody suite, he stated, My ma's saying I peed on the floor. Phone my lawyer and make him take swabs off the floor. I've done nothing wrong, but my ma says I pissed on the floor. <laughs> Hogg of Falkirk, uh, a time-served joiner, pleaded guilty to statutory breach of the peace. Hogg's solicitor, Simon Hutchins, said this was outrageous behaviour. He tells me he was very depressed and he was drinking at the time. After reading background reports, the sheriff fined him £850 and he told him your behaviour was completely unacceptable. It was disgusting, actually. Uh, Yeah, so he's denying uh, that he's peed anywhere, but the first thing he basically says when he's taken into custody is, my ma's saying I peed on the floor, phone my lawyer, make him take swabs. I've done nothing wrong. My ma said I pissed on the floor. How does he know about the piss if he's done nothing wrong? Because his mum reckons like, oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. He's fucked it. I mean, he turned up, called her a fat whore, smashed it. Like, you're a fat whore, I'm going to piss against your door. <laughs> and then he does. Fair play, he's a man of his word. Oh, yeah. um, smashes a plant pot off her window. I mean, obviously disgusting behaviour. Yeah. Uh, I, I you know, feel sorry for the poor woman. It must have been a terrible ordeal. But, you know, come on. What a fucking idiot. <laughs> I mean, you know, I always think for women who have sons like that, who, and, you know, and, and, you know, like probably most of these women have done their absolute best to try and keep their sons on the straight and narrow and whatever. <laughs> and then... <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, like, there's surely there's a limit to a mother's forgiveness. Surely, I mean, I've, I have, I'm very happy to say I have never, never tested the limit of my own mother's forgiveness, and I'm sure you never tested the limit of yours either. But no, no. but I mean, everyone's got like a breaking point. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Was, yeah, having having yeah. your door pissed on is that was that this woman's breaking point? Having like a wee, you know, like a offensive potential haiku shouted at her through a door. <laughs> a wee offensive haiku. <laughs> that could have been his defence. Like, he was just practicing his Japanese poetry. <clears throat> well, how much did he get fined? Five hundred and fifty pounds. Did you say? Uh, Eight hundred and fifty pounds. Oh yeah, he would have been. He'd have been 500 quid cheaper if he'd gone to Irvine and got his cock out in a car park. <laughs> yeah. Maybe didn't have the bus fare fall out to Irvine. <laughs> I, I did. I, I'd love the... I could just imagine his uh, procular. What was it? Um, the the beautiful wording that she came out with. It's so eloquent in court. Oh, yeah. The, the prosecutor, when she said... Uh, and then at a display of poor lavatorial etiquette, <laughs> he did, in fact, urinate against the door. <laughs> Poor lavatorial etiquette. I mean, <laughs> what's uh, what's good lavatorial etiquette? Should he have sat down to pee? Do you think? <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think, I think for guys, good lavatorial etiquette is just getting it all in the bowl. <laughs> you know what I mean? Never mind. Never mind. But yes, I've never uh, pissed against my mother's <laughs> front door. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, have you seen anything? <laughs> Glad to hear Sorry. that. Um, uh, I've just got a very quick, weird uh, story that came from the Daily Record on uh, no date. Oh, tell a lie, eighth of March. Um, this is na- the 
Nigel Farage, uh, Parker of Thunderbird, Thunderbirds look lookalike and modern day supervillain, depending on where your politics lie. Edinburgh club promoters have announced a change of venue for their popular club night with a controversial spokesman. Uh, the aforementioned Nigel Farage broke Fridays will be moving their club nights from attic to the liquid rooms after a fallout with bosses at their former home. Broke announced they'd be breaking their 10-year relationship with attic due to attic's new ownership, making it impossible for us to continue working together. To promote the move, they secured the services of Nigel Farage through personalised oh, greeting website wonderful cameo um, I've seen I saw quite a lot of these during the pandemic you could like you could get like you could pay like depending on who it was you could get like a personalised message from some like some quite famous people I think I sent some to you I genuinely thought about getting James Cosmo to introduce the culture swally <laughs> but it was for promotional use it's too expensive yeah yeah <laughs> we'd probably have to pay him royalties uh, royalties rather so the video was posted to Brokes TikTok and Facebook it shows the former UKIP leader saying that Attic is retiring from hosting Friday club nights <laughs> saying that sorry saying that Attic retiring from hosting Friday club nights was an idea as good as Brexit um, he says in the video <laughs> <laughs> He's such a cunt, honestly. Uh, he says in the video, Well, hello to my good friend Attic. It's Nigel Farage here. I want to wish you good luck with retiring from Friday nights, and I can assure you that your new Friday night plans will be as good an idea as Brexit, if not better. Here's wishing you all the very best. Nigel, over and out. Now, the last time that Nigel Farage had anything to do with Edinburgh was during an election campaign in 2013. Um, he was famously whisked away from protesters who branded him a ball bag. Um, <laughs> apparently, he charges up to £1,000 for an exclusive message on the application. His last chaotic trip to Edinburgh ended with the then UKIP chief sitting in the back of a riot van after four attempts to escape a group of around 50 protesters. He initially sought refuge in uh, the Cannons Gate pub before being shown the door by the landlord after activists <laughs> branded him a racist and a homophobe. He was then rejected by a taxi after aban <laughs> abandoning his press conference and ejected from a second taxi when the group of protesters blocked his path. I remember seeing a meme about that at the time saying it's quite ironic that um, somebody who campaigns on not allowing refugees into the UK is seeking refuge in an Edinburgh pub himself. Um, <laughs> officers were then forced to corral him back into the bar until a vehicle could arrive and transport him away from the scene in a fourth attempt. Um, so yeah, I'm surprised. Well, I suppose he'll, I guess he'll do anything for money. I, I don't know how much um, how much the club would have paid to get him to promote uh, the club night. <laughs> I mean, would you want Nigel Farage to promote your club night? If I was hosting a club night, he'd be pretty low on the list. I mean, Christine Hamilton was she busy or <laughs> you know, like Edwina Curry? Um, <laughs> Uh, Katie Hopkins or something, you know, like, oh my god, Nigel Farage, why is that a good idea? I mean, Clarkson must have been too expensive, I guess. It's, it's, it's only a good idea if you're engaged in a sort of Brewster's Millions type activity where you have to, like, <laughs> you have to establish uh, enterprises that are doomed to fail just so you can burn through all your money and get the big prize at the end. I can only assume that there was something like that involved in the decision. If I'm doing something like that, I would get, like, Pat Sharp or yeah. Timmy Mallet. Or the, twin, to... the, the twins from Funhouse. 
you know. Have I, I've, I've told the story on the Swally before, haven't I, that I spoke to Timmy Mallet on the phone. Have I told that story? Um, it rings up. I, th- I, I think it. I think it bears telling again because I can't quite remember. Uh, so I worked for uh, very quickly, just in case I have told it before. Um, I worked for uh, like a marketing communications agency in Aberdeen, and we were looking after. It was at the time where the bypass was going through, and on the bypass area there was a, a kind of community center that looked after people with special needs. And Timmy Mallet's brother has special needs and he lived at this care home i don't know uh, they must have links to aberdeen anyway uh so timmy was a very active campaigner um about the the fact that this bypass shouldn't go through and that the road needed to stay no that the the hill home needed to stay the road shouldn't go through uh so he was dealing with the communications the pr part of the the agency and one day reception was ringing and i picked up the phone and (laughs) just this hello can i speak to ken please (laughs) i was like uh yeah sure um can i ask who's calling it's timmy mallet (laughs) i was like what the real timmy mallet he's like yes (laughs) okay i'll just put you through (laughs) why is genuinely timmy mallet why why is i imagine that that's the sort of voice and tone that he used when he was like taking phone calls from kids on wackaday yeah, I, I swear to God, it was genuinely, it must just be his phone voice just actively goes into, but it was genuinely, hello, can I speak to Ken, please? Oh, Timmy Mallet. Oh, God bless. Do you remember? Yeah, I'd get him to promote my club. Do you remember when, you know, remember uh, when they, they stopped him from hitting the kids on the head with his big mallet during Mallet's mallet? Mm. He had to get that sort of contraption thing instead that then hit that that kept the points in the last couple of the series of Wackaday. He wasn't able to bob... Oh, did he? I don't remember that. Yeah, he wasn't allowed to bob the kids on the head with his foam mallet anymore. <laughs> That's why... I don't know if it's like all these, like that movie uh, where Will Smith plays like the head trauma doctor for the the NFL guys. It was like this like <laughs> clinic for the ex Mallet's Mallet contestants. <laughs> Hit on the head one too many times. <laughs> See, you're saying there's a bunch of like 40 year olds going around nowadays that have mild concussion and brain trauma yeah. from being hit with a mallet, yeah. and Timmy Mallet's to blame for that. I don't know. I'm just it's just conjecture on my part. Um, obviously, <laughs> it's, it, if Timmy Mallet's lawyers are, are are listening, it absolutely means nothing. I'm literally just making stuff up <laughs> for the podcast. He gave them a plaster afterwards. <laughs> it's fine. That plaster helped everything, so it's all. But good. the thing is, like that whole game was about word of association right so if you've if yeah. you, you know so you haven't to think fast if somebody hits you in the head yeah. when you get something wrong <laughs> then you're not you know like for the next time you're going to be panicked you know what i mean um i think you know i don't think it really hurt that much it was a pretty so it's just been like hit over the head with a pillow and he he wasn't like giving it full over the head double axe handle type smash it was just like a little done i know it's not gonna hurt but it would be off-putting i i get right. you know I, i'll take that but it's not gonna cause like a slight brain trauma <laughs> sure it's not i'm just maybe i don't it's just my little timmy mallet stick we can we can move on <laughs> If you've been suffering from brain trauma, having been hit on the head with Mallet's Mallet, then please get in touch on cultureswally at gmail.com and let us know your story and we'll cover it on the next episode of the Culture Swally. The funniest testimonials we might, we'll, we'll read out in the podcast. <laughs>
Yeah, we'll give a prize for the best testimonial. Um, you'll get uh, a phone message from me pretending to be Timmy Mallet. Um, <laughs> doing a great Timmy Mallet impression, I have to say. Very, yeah, very I'll good. give you a customised a customised Timmy Mallet impression um, just for you, for the best story of brain trauma from a Mallet's mallet. <laughs> got visions of people being having nightmares about guys with like, wacky glasses and spiky hair. <laughs> you know something randomly the other day i did have itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini stuck in my head like genuinely i'm not making that up for the podcast genuinely the other day i was out walking the dog and i was singing itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini and where the fuck is that come from just random but then you have to finish it off with the oh yeah um (laughs) just randomly in my head i do not know where it came from but it did uh so maybe that's expunged the timmy mallet from my head now and the best thing about that is that now everybody listening to this podcast that knows that song has got itsy bitsy teeny weeny stuck in their heads for the next little while uh okay (laughs) i guess that covers the news then greg uh okay uh before we go on to what we're going to talk about this week Let's have a little word from our sponsors. They drink it everywhere, man. After work or after play, man. In the country or on the town. Tennis lockers all around. They drink it everywhere. Drink it after painting, panting, jeweling and fooling. Cooking, looking, raging, demonstrating. Fanning, tanning, wheeling and dealing. Singing, dancing, medieval dancing, whatever you're debating is what you'll all be rating. Okay, so it was your choice this week, Greg. So why don't you introduce what we're going to talk about on this episode? Um, well, last year we sort of inadvertently had, I think it was like a Martin Compton, perhaps four in a row. Mm. I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, And it wasn't intentional either, not really. Um, This month we've got a Liam Neeson double, and believe it or not, it wasn't intentional. So my choice for this week was the David Leyland-directed 1990 movie The Big Man, uh, starring the aforementioned Mr. Neeson, uh, Joanne Wally, or Joanne Wally Kilmer, as she was known back then, Billy Connolly, Ian Bannon, and a whole host of uh, Scottish uh, well-known actors in varying size roles based on the 1986 novel uh, by William McAvaney um, of the same name. It tells a story of a Scottish miner played by Liam Neeson um, who became unemployed during a union strike. Uh, He's unable to support his family. He can't resolve his bitterness about his situation. Desperate for money, he accepts an offer made by a Glasgow gangster played by Ian Bannon, to fight in an illegal bare-knuckle boxing match. A long and brutal fight follows. So, had you seen The Big Man before? Um, I don't think I had. It's one of those films that, watching it, I I don't think I've seen it, but it did feel quite familiar in a strange way, if that makes sense. But I I genuinely don't think I've watched it from beginning to end. But there were parts of it that I kind of thought, I have seen this before, but it didn't leave a lasting impression. So I I would say for the benefit of the podcast, no, this is the the first time that I had watched The Big Man. 
Right. What about yourself? Had you seen it before? I had seen it before. Um, years ago, you may remember Billy Conley having a, a video out called 25 Years BC, celebrating his mm. 25 years in show business. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a cross of showing footage from his stand-up shows and a bit of a documentary about him as well. And there's a clip in it um from the big man. Um and it's a scene which in the version of this that I watched for the Swally, and I think it's probably the same version you watched, has been cut out. And it's a, so Billy Conley plays. I mean, his his connection to everything is he seems to be like an old childhood friend of Liam Neeson's who is also connected to uh, Ian Bannon, uh, his gangster. Uh, there's a scene where he comes to the door and asks Joanne Wally Kilmer if uh, Danny played by the Neeson can come out to play and she goes in and gets the coal shovel and comes out and sets about him with it and chases him out the garden it's quite a funny scene it's supposed to be so the first time I saw this I can I can't really remember but I can only assume it was probably on a television maybe like on BBC4 mm. or something one night I remember I feel like I watched it in the house in steps um I hadn't seen it since then I clearly either wasn't paying all that much attention to it the first time or my memory's just not as good as it once was because there was a lot of it that I didn't remember uh, and when it was released in the US this movie was called Crossing the Line it wasn't called The Big Man and the version that we watched, this American version I think has about 20 to 25 minutes cut out of the original cut. I did look high and low for the original version of it and I couldn't find it anywhere. Well that's exactly as you said Greg, so it was released in the UK as The Big Man and then it was released in the US as crossing the line i think it might have been released as the big man crossing the line um yeah i searched high and low i think there was about 20 minutes cut out apparently there is quite a big star because it confused the hell out of me so i should say obviously as greg has said for the purposes of this podcast we have watched basically the american edit of this film because at the end credits when it comes up the cast is in order of appearance and kenny ireland is the first person listed. And I'm like, wait a minute, he's probably the last person you see in the film Mm because he is the big man that gets shot in the pool. And uh, that confused me. So I had to to have a look into it and yeah, realise that we'd missed. So apparently in the the UK version, there is like a whole beginning that you see the big man. I mean, uh, that's the confusing point as well. I think like three people are referenced as the big man in this film. Yeah, um, but but Kenny Ireland, you see him, and then there must have been the scene that you mentioned with Frankie and Beth and, and hitting her uh, with a coal shovel. Uh, and there's a little bit more a backstory that comes with the film that we obviously missed in the version that we watched. Yeah, so I think you know the, the, this version that we watched is available on YouTube. Um, you can see it on there mm. if you want to see it. It's you know the the, the kind of pacing and the plot of the film obviously suffers from losing those that kind of 25 minutes or half or however long it Mm. is that that's cut out because things just sort of happen you know they i think the 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 most telling moment is after he comes home to tell after danny the belly meeson comes home to tell beth his wife that he's accepted this money to have a bare knuckle boxing fight and stuff and they have a row and then there's a love scene between the two of them he goes out jogging the next morning with Billy Conley's character um Frankie and 
she leaves him. You know what I mean? So like, you know, she mm. she leaves, she takes the kids away, and there's no sort of build up to that. You know, in in the version we watched, it feels like there's a kind of she sort of accepted the fact that he's going to have this yeah this illegal fight, and um, and then she hasn't. So, you know, like the film kind of critically wasn't particularly well received. Uh, and I think it's kind of clear to see why with if that, if the version that we watched has been the one that's been reviewed, you know? Well, yeah, it's quite confusing because as you say, that it seems like she's she's against it to begin with when he comes home and he's doing the £50 note and flying it around and like, oh, I'm going to... like, and, and she does say, like, you're not a bare knuckle box. Yeah. What what are you doing? And then, as you say, they kind of make up. They have a little bit of romantic time, mm-hmm. no nudity. So <laughs> that's obviously not included in the, the awards later. Yeah. But yeah, and then literally, yeah, she, she's left him mm-hmm. and left a note. So there must have been something else that happened in between then because she goes off to her parents and goes out on a date with Hugh Grant later on. Yeah, we'll come to that. I mean, that is one of the... <laughs> I mean, there's a bit of unusual <laughs> casting in this anyway, I think, but that has to be one of the most, the oddest uh, casting choices for any Scottish movie I've ever seen, I think. Staying with Liam Neeson for a minute. So this is sort of the beginning of Liam Neeson as mm. a leading man. Or this is, maybe not, maybe it's not the beginning. Maybe it's like the sort of first attempt. Because by this point, like the, the movie came out in 1990. He'd been acting since the late 70s at this point. So... I guess the kind of the kind of biggest things that he'd done, he did um, he did crawl the sort of British Star Wars with uh, Todd Carty. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's such a weird, weird movie. He's in the Bounty. He's in Excalibur. I mentioned that already, didn't I? He's in A Prayer for the Dying with Mickey Rourke, which I watched that a couple of years ago for the first time in a long time. It stands up. It's a good movie. A Prayer for the Dying. He's in he's in High Spirits, that weird sort of haunted house movie that I remember being out at the same time as Moonwalker was on at the cinema. He, he pops up in the Deadpool, the um, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, fuck off, Greg. The Dirty Harry film is the baddie. Um, then he pops up in Next of Kin, which is like a pretty good Patrick Swayze pre-Roadhouse action movie. Mm. And then I guess his big Hollywood break, we mentioned it last week, that movie that you and I both really enjoy that I watched recently, Darkman, which comes out the same which comes out the same year as this. Uh the Apparently he was filming Darkman and The Big Man at the same time. Right. So he was flipping between the two, which is incredible and as you say this this was and i think this came out just before dark man but it mm. was the same year i think this is kind of credited as his first leading role yeah and then of course dark man he is the, the leading role as well yeah. so um yeah i mean he'd had a good decent enough career and and obviously he went on to bigger and better things mm-hmm. He is very believable in this. I watched a a, a clip on YouTube and it was a, a film 90 um, behind the scenes. So it was with Barry Norman discussing in terms of the, the film and it was a little bit of a snippet and an interview with Liam Neeson and Billy Conley and an interview with one of the producers. And they did say on this, like, so this is very... Like the emphasis in this film is very much it's Scottish, you know, it's set in Scotland, it's set in a small town in Scotland. Why didn't you 
cast a Scottish actor in the main role. And the producer was very honest and he said, well, I couldn't think of anyone or find anyone right. that fitted the role yeah. like Liam Neeson. So I was like, that's that's absolute bollocks. <laughs> so I, I had a, I, I genuinely, I had a good think about this. I, I couldn't come up with anyone that would have, that was Scottish at that time, that was around the age of Neeson. So I think he was maybe in his mid to late 30s when he was filming this. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. If you, so if you can think of like a mid-30s actor, because he has to be, you know, he's got two kids, he's married, he's a coal miner who's been made redundant and, you know, mm -hmm. well, because of the strike and stuff. Someone with that size and stature of that age. I mean, genuinely, the only person I could come up with was James Cosmo. And mm. I, I don't think he would be right for this role, but a, like a mid-30s actor in 1990 that's Scottish that could pull off being a bare-knuckle boxer. There's plenty of great... I mean, Brian Cox would have been mm -hmm. good, but would you have believed him at that time as a bare-knuckle boxer? Like, I think Brian Cox probably a wee bit too old. Would have been a wee bit too old for the role, as you say. I mean, the thing is... I, th I think if had he been willing to put the work in, Connolly might have got away with it. I know that he, I know he's got about, he's got, he's older than than Liam Neeson. He's like, I think he's about ten years older than Liam Neeson. But like famously, Connolly shaved off his sort of trademark beard for this part. Mm. Like to be, you know, yeah. um, and he, he said that like the director uh, David Leyland asked him to do it, and he he did it. He was happy to do it because he'd been thinking of doing, he'd been thinking of shaving it off for a while. It does make him look younger, and Con mm. Billy Connolly's actually a tall guy against Liam Neeson, yeah. who is very tall. He, you know, they look short, but six foot four, I think Neeson yeah, is. Yeah, he's a big fella. Like when you see him, yeah. when you see him standing up against um, Rab Affleck, who plays Cutty in the big fight later on, I mean, he fucking, he dwarfs Rab Affleck. Yeah. I mean, Rab Affleck's sort of stockier. He looks more like a, a boxer. And when I was reading about Rab Affleck, he had been a semi-professional boxer before. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. But so that, you know, that probably explains that. But um, I don't, I think, I think if Connolly was, had been willing to put in the kind of physical work, you know, I don't, I think in, in terms of his performance in this film, I think he's been better, Billy Conley. He's, he's not mm. he's not bad. Oh yeah. He's 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 not bad he, in this, yeah. but you know, he's he's definitely been better in other films, you know. I, I would say it's the in my notes, it's kind of it's the worst Conley performance that we've done on the Swally. Like even in Just Under Saturday, where he's effectively playing himself. Yeah. I think he's he's better. Yeah. Um in terms of the Down Among the Big Boys, he's kind of honed his skills a little bit more. Yeah. And he's he's very good in that. This one, I thought it was a bit flat. Mm. But I, I, I see what you mean in terms of if he'd put the work in, maybe built himself up a bit, then yeah, he could have potentially played the role of Danny. But there's no one else. I mean, if you fast forward maybe eight, nine years, then I could see maybe like Gerard Butler mm -hmm. in this role, yeah, potentially. Definitely. But talking about 1990, there's literally nobody that I can think of. I mean, could you see Gerard Kelly in this role, oh, uh, for example? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I tell you somebody, what about, um, what about Alistair Duncan, who plays Livingston in the first episodes of Taggart? Is he, is he, he quite, he's quite a tall guy, isn't he not? He's a tall guy, yeah. That's a good shout, actually. That, I, I had not thought about that. He's tall. You know, he's a bit wooden. He's a wee... Mind you, Liam Neeson's not exactly that. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> 
he's, a, he's, he's, a, he's a few years younger than Liam Neeson, I think. No, you know, I think, but he probably about in his early 30s, I think, by the time this came out, I'd imagine. Um, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, the only thing I've really seen him act in is Taggart. That, that kind of springs to mind. I've heard him doing quite a lot of voice work, but I've not seen him, um, I've not really really seen him in Taggart doing his acting. So, staying on Neeson then, obviously, we had him last week uh, in the last episode for Rob Roy doing a Scottish accent. He's doing a Scottish accent in this one. Do we think this is this accent's maybe a wee bit better? I think it's slightly better. However, he suffers from the same issue that when he's talking to Joanne Willie Kilmer, uh, Beth, his wife, her accent dips into a little bit of Irish. And then I actually put in my notes like, is she doing a Mancunian accent now? Mm. And then obviously I looked her up and was like, ah, she is from Manchester. Yeah. So her ac- her accent's all over the place, but in in parts it goes quite Irish, and mm-hmm. I think that's the Neeson kind of benefit. This is a lot of money, Danny. A lot of money. Now tell me where you got it. Right. There's this gentleman, Mr. Mason. Mad Mason. He's from Glasgow. Who is he? A businessman, a friend of Frankie's. What's a proper businessman doing with Frankie White? Mr. Mason's a wealthy man, Beth. You could take him home to your mother. He owns betting shops. A bucket. Respectable. Owns racehorses. You're too old to believe in Santa Claus, Danny. Just what sort of job is it? Oh, for Christ's sake, Beth. It's money, isn't it? Van driving doesn't make this kind of money. Okay, so you don't want to drive a van? Fine, no problem. But what are you going to do? Ride a racehorse? Fight your man. I think that's the issue with when people try to do, I think I think a Scottish accent for people who aren't Scottish is quite difficult. You know, obviously we've had, mm. we've, we've had some good examples. Johnny Lee Miller, I think, is probably the best Scottish accent yeah. I've heard. Um, yeah. yeah. So much so, like as we said in the Trainspotting uh, podcast, I thought he was Scottish the first time I saw Trainspotting, so I hadn't seen him anything else. Yeah. I think the tendency is to drift into a sort of pseudo-Irish sort of Liverpudlian kind of accent you know what i mean i i notice liam neeson's accent less in terms of it doesn't bother me when he's in scenes one-on-one with billy conley yeah because he's got the the, the ability to kind of in rob roy you know generally the majority of his scenes are with people that aren't scottish <laughs> apart, you know he's only got a couple of scenes of brian cox yeah really, yeah but I did put in my notes, like, I didn't notice his accent when he's just with Frankie, but when he's with Beth, I I noticed his accent more Irish. As you say, it's a very difficult accent to do. And you said perfectly, Johnny Lee Miller, Mm. probably the best Scottish accent from a non-Scot I've ever heard. Genuinely. And it's it's because it's so subtle the way he does it. It's a subtle Edinburgh accent yeah. he does. It's so soft, but it just sounds perfect. Do you think Neeson is, he's maybe got a bit more on the line in this movie, so he's trying a bit harder, where with Rob Roy, without him, there's no movie, right? So just like, mm. well, okay, you know what I mean? If if, I, if if they fire me, they're fucked. So <laughs> I'm just going to half arse, half arse my Scottish accent for Rob Roy. And, uh, no. I mean, uh, yeah, possibly. I mean, not to just talk about the accent, but I think he he does deliver a good performance in this film. He's he's believable. I kind of feel his anguish. There's a couple of scenes that it's maybe a bit over the top, but he does give it his all. And there's a couple of little parts. For example, the I I really love that the the scene at the beginning um, when 
Pat Roach, um, whose character is called Billy. <laughs> why why were they so obsessed with the name Billy in this film? Like, obviously, you've got Billy Conley, then Pat Roach's character, who's never named, yeah. I don't think, in the film. So why call him Billy and then have Billy the dog? Like, And do they call Billy the dog Billy the dog throughout the whole film? Because to differentiate him from Pat Roach's character, Billy. But when he he kind of, you know, when, when Pat Roach is kind of antagonizing him and looking for a fight and he just puts his pint down and walks the door and just turns around, Alan doesn't like fights inside his pub. You know, that's that's good. I'd like that. It's kind of like, oh, yes, here, here we go. Here's a, a good hard guy. But I, I do. I like his performance in this film. He's, you know, he shows that he is a, a good actor, accent aside. Yeah, and the thing is, like, more recently, when we mentioned it last week, you know, he doesn't seem to do an awful lot these days that really stretches his sort of acting chops. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, in Schindler's List, I think that's probably that's probably going to be the performance that he'll be remembered for. Um, you know, yeah. he, he tends to he tends to do these sort of revenge type roles ever since he's done Taken. Pretty much every movie that has been out in the last few years with him in it involves him getting his own back on somebody for something. Do you know what I mean? Or hunting someone down. Mm. I think his last one, he was a was not like a truck driver who the, the Ice Road, I think it's called. He's a truck driver or something that goes after some guys for something. The last the last film I watched with him was the the one on the train. Was it the commuter? When yeah, he's oh yeah. on the train and he gets like a message, you have to kill this person, and yeah, yeah. then kind of you know, kind of yeah, it's it's okay. I mean, he should have stopped after Taken. Like mm-hmm. I mean, Taken, as we said oh. the last episode, is fucking brilliant. Sublime. And that speech we delivers in terms of you know, I have a certain set of skills. Mm. I know I will find you and I will kill you. It, it chills like yeah. that's a amazing. Yeah, stop there, Liam. I, <laughs> I would agree. It's Schindler's List or Taken yeah. that he will be remembered for. It's just sort of got boxed in by by Taken, I guess, you know, and uh, yeah. hopefully hopefully he'll he'll do something that kind of kind of pulls him out of it and gets him back in the serious sort of movie um sort of train, you know. So I guess the other kind of lead is Joanne Whaley Kilmer, as she was known at the time, mm-hmm. quite a successful British actress, mm-hmm. uh, married to Val Kilmer. While she filmed this at the point, I believe they met on the set of Willow That's right. and and got married. Obviously got, got divorced um, not long after. Um, how are we feeling about her as Beth I th- in this film? I, I kind of feel like she is probably, in terms of international fame, she's probably the most, at, at the time, she's probably the most famous person in the film. Because like you mentioned mm. there, she she was in Willow, which I think, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of remembered uh, perhaps a bit unkindly, I think, Willow, but I think at the time it was quite a big film. Obviously, she did Scandal, which she plays mm. Christine, yeah. uh, Christine Keeler about the, the Perfumo affair. So there's a, you know, there's a, perhaps a, a suggestion that her being in the film um, depended on, or rather, the money depended on her being in the film because it got an it got an American release. I guess we'll come on to it, but the soundtracks by Ennio Morricone, who did you know, mm. famous famous um, composer of movies, you know, um, of like westerns, the Sergio Leone movies and stuff. So obviously, it's been this. There's been intentions for this film to be released in the US, and I wonder if maybe that's why she's in it. You know, she's maybe the, they probably got paid more than anybody else for being in it. Um, but then mm. in the cut of the film that you and I watch, she's not actually in it that much. No, I think there's a little bit more of her 
in the beginning. And I think apparently in the, the cut that we didn't watch, there's a, a section in the beginning where it kind of explains why she knows Hugh Grant's character, mm-hmm. Gordon, yeah. and the, the relationship there. Because we know that she's the breadwinner of the, the house, but we don't actually know what she does. But we know that Gordon's a doctor, so I I can only presume that she maybe is uh, in the medical profession. A nurse because, or something. Or... Well, yeah, that's a bit condescending, Greg, to say that she's female <laughs> and should be a nurse. She could be a doctor as well, well but, but, you know, when... Um, in a nicer house uh, if she was a doctor, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, not to, to spoil things, but at the end of the film, when um, Frankie is battle damaged, mm. um, she does say, come on, we'll go patch you up which makes me think that she is maybe of a, a medical kind of profession, but I don't know because we didn't see the yeah. <laughs> the proper version <laughs> yeah. of the film. I mean, the same year that uh, she does The Big Man, she also did, um, I'm sure you remember the movie Navy Seals with Michael Bean and Charlie oh, Sheen. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, that, that could be get added to my uh, to watch list of uh, forgotten films. I was actually just looking at the last thing we would have probably seen her in was uh, Daredevil. Oh, yeah. She played Sister Maggie. That's right. Being busy. Um, you know, she's, maybe, she's not maybe not done a, a lot of particularly high profile stuff over the last... 25 years or so um but she's you know she's not it's not like she's been not doing anything she's done a lot of television to your point um you know she does an episode she does seven episodes of gossip girl were you were you a fan of that one gossip girl no No. i never watched gossip girl no Um, she's in the borgias with uh jeremy irons um she's done a few sort of medieval things wolf hall uh, she plays Catherine of Aragon. Uh, that was quite successful when it came out. Uh, the White Princess as well. Um, so you know she's been she's sort of cracked on. I used to really really crush on her. I remember I remember <laughs> I remember seeing Scandal. Um, fairly probably quite probably a lot younger than I should have been. Um, I think it I think it was it was on the TV when I was about twelve or thirteen. Um, and I remember watching it and having a bit of an awakening, <laughs> confusing thoughts. <laughs> Perfect age. It's around. About the time those uh, yeah. um, starts to happen, yeah, yeah, um, and you know, I think you know, I, I, we'll have to try and get hold of um, the maybe in a future episode if we manage to track down the the full the full version of this, we could do maybe a little short special because um, I'm sure that you don't get a big actress like that and then hardly use her in a film, you know. Uh, so that covers Neeson and Whaley Kilmer. Um, I guess the the next kind of person that would be talking about well we've kind of talked about billy conley but i think ian bannon deserves a a good little shout in this like he's he's very good in this i would say he yeah he is great in it and like i always knew ian bannon from dr finley uh, I don't know if your mum watched. Mm. Or if your mum watched that, my mum did. Um, she did. Yeah, she did. Yeah. He, he obviously <laughs> plays. Um, he plays Robert the Bruce's father uh, in Braveheart. Um, he yeah. he's good in this because, and I think the reason I liked him so much is because I I knew him best from Doctor Finley, and he plays a very kindly, benevolent character in Doctor Finley. And the way he plays this role, on the face of it, he's a kindly, benevolent guy until he isn't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then he's he can he can turn evil. You know. Yeah, there's always kind of an undertone of menace about him, yeah, though, yeah. which I I really like about the performance there's always just that kind of little undercurrent of you 
you know that this guy's being nice, but there's a reasoning behind it. Exactly. Um, you know, like particularly his scenes toward the end, um, when he comes looking for Danny after Danny's sort of roughed him up and taken the money from his safe. When he comes when he comes for him uh, in the kind of ruins of the of the of the mine, or not in the mine itself, but you know, at the top of the colliery. Um you know, I mean even 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 when he takes the bag, for a second you think maybe he's just gonna walk away until you see the assassin appear that we mm. that we saw briefly earlier on, uh, assassinating the the guy in the swimming pool in Spain, you know, and he's, you know, he's he, that they just that they, that the the fact that he's just pure evil um, behind this sort of this sort of jovial, friendly kind of granddad is actually a fucking murderer and one of the worst people in the movie. But he's so calm and composed and menacing throughout it all. And there's only one scene where he kind of loses it, which is when, as you mentioned, when Danny goes to get his money after the fight. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it's because. Mason is meant to be a bit boozy at this point or something, mm. but you know, he starts throwing the money at him. And when Danny's like, Cut his blind, I need to, and, and he's throwing the money at him, he's like, buy him a fucking white stick. Yeah. And but then he just kind of loses the plot and just starts chucking money and shoving yeah. it in his mouth. And then, of course, Danny ends up throwing him over the table. And you're kind of wondering at that point, like, oh, is he dead? Like, is he killed him? Mm. But no, obviously, he comes back with a vengeance to, to get his money back. He's very good when you look back at his. His IMDb, you know, I mean, he's he, when he he passed away in 1999, and he was only 71, which you know, like these days, isn't doesn't feel particularly old. Mm. But the amount of movie, his first movie was in 1951. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, it's incredible. Yeah, um, and pretty much as a jobbing working actor uh, on film and stage his entire life, with some quite big parts in there, and then the his sort of counterpart in the film is. Let me just find, I want to pronounce his name correctly. Morris uh, Roves, who plays hmm. uh, Cutty's sort of uh, handler. Not handler, but, you know, yeah. benefactor. Mm -hmm. Most recently seen in uh, Two Doors Down, playing um, the father of... Uh, oh, Gordon. Yeah, yes. The father, yeah. Is that, yeah, he plays Willie. <laughs> Honestly, it's wrong with me tonight. Fucking Harry Potter. <laughs> The dirty Harry Potter. I can't remember anything. He only passed away uh, two years ago at the ripe old age of 83. He plays Willie, uh, Gordon's dad. Yeah, you're right. Um, and yeah, a, a part of that I really liked him in is in The Damned United, uh, he plays Jimmy Gordon, uh, the yeah. the Leeds groundsman, um, with uh, Michael Sheen as uh, Brian Clough. He's very good in this, and he's 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 popped up in a few things. I think he, I think we've had him on the podcast before and something. I'm just looking at his IMDb. I feel like he was in something that we covered. I haven't updated the Swally Tally yet to cover this, so um, oh, maybe not. I, it's on my to do list for tomorrow. So I'll I'll let you know. But yeah, uh, I'm yeah, not sure. Maybe not. Maybe not. No, he's great, and he's also kind of the the, the counterpart to Mr. Mason, and he again, he's he's very he's quite funny and menacing, but also quite a dry witted way about him as well. He, he's very good. Yeah, yeah. The 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 part where after the fight, um, he and Mason sort of embrace I thought was a bit weird mm. um, when they're supposed to I think one of the characters even says that they absolutely hate each other um, yeah. earlier in the film. Just coming back to Billy Conley for a moment. So I had I had a little kind of pour through his Billy Conley's IMDb and his year 
So from I think 1998, 1999, sorry, Billy Connolly does. So he, he starts off his uh, film career a bit sporadically. There's a few years between parts. The first few films, there's not really an awful lot. Small parts. And he does The Big Man in 1990. Three years later, he gets a sort of cameo role in Indecent Proposal with uh, Woody mm. Harrelson and yes. Denny Moore. He does a voice in Pocahontas, uh, the, the, the Disney one. A year after that, he's in Muppets Treasure Island. Uh, he, he famously says he thinks he's the only person that's ever died in a Muppets film. He plays Billy Bones. He does Mrs. Brown in 1997. Then nothing really of note. 1999, he does Still Crazy, which did really well mm-hmm. about the band. The, yeah. the Debt Collector, which we may mm. we may get on the podcast soon. And The Boondock Saints, mm-hmm. which is a fucking mm. brilliant film. Yeah, that is, yeah. Uh, what, a, what a great year 1999 was for Billy Conley. So we have a an early appearance in this from Peter Mullen. Yep. In terms of uh, quite early in his career. Rab Affleck, it's his, his first screen appearance as well. And we get a very early Hugh Grant too, 1990. Like uh, four years before Four Weddings, weddings fame. Yeah. Yeah, Hugh Grant's, um, I, I, I believe he's in it a little bit more in the extended cut. But in this version, he's just a couple of fleeting scenes. Now, his Scottish accent, obviously, it leaves a lot to be desired. Mm-hmm. Does he call, and this is what confuses me, that they give... Pat Roach, and we'll come to Pat Roach, don't worry. They give his character a name, Billy, when he's never mentioned. Hugh Grant, as Gordon, addresses Beth's mother as, does he call her Mrs. Haggis? (laughs) Or it it kind of is like, oh, hello, Mrs. Haggis. And I I, I presume her name's meant to be Harrison or something. However, in the credits... They're listed as Beth's mother and Beth's father. Yeah. But he does address them by name. But I swear he says Mrs. Haggis. Gordon, hello. Come in. <laughs> Thank you. How's the doctor's life these days? Well, thriving. Uh, people dropping like flies, Mrs. Haggis. Good, good. All right, mother. He obviously went to the same accent coach as Eric Stoltz and Jessica Lange did for <laughs> Rob Roy. Because his Scottish accent's fucking shocking. It's so poor that you you wonder why they didn't just let him do it in his own accent. You know what I mean? Yeah, that would have made more sense because if he's meant to be a, a kind of posh doctor, then uh, his English accent wouldn't have sounded out of order and kind of he was meant to be from Edinburgh yeah. or something. Yeah, It wouldn't have sounded too different. But to give him that, uh, oh, it's it's absol- it has to be one of the worst Scottish accents we've had on this well yeah it's terrible and then the the scene when he takes beth out to that i mean if somebody showed me like a stereotypical late 80s early 90s sort of wine bar um yeah that's i would imagine that like neons lots of glass and he turns up in one of the ugliest fucking jumpers i've ever seen i mean who the fuck who who would go to who would wear a jumper like that to a night out in the first place you're like beth has got herself dressed up she's got makeup on she's looking nice and fucking hugh turns up in a jumper that he's looks like his granny knitted it for him and it's a hell of a coincidence that they go to the same bar that danny's nipped out for a drink in yeah 
In terms of the, because uh, obviously it's the second drinking establishment that we see in the film. So the first one that we see is the the pub that Danny meets Mr. Mason mm-hmm. and that he fights Billy yeah. in, in the car park in, obviously. So in terms of the Swally, we, we do a little bit of research. We'd like to call it half-hour <laughs> internet research. And we um we have a little look on IMDb, we have a look on Wikipedia, but mostly it's about our kind of feelings and kind yeah, of yeah. memories of this. Um, on the odd occasion, I will look at like a YouTube video. Like I said earlier, I, I looked at this film 90 clip. For this one, I watched The Big Man quite early on last week. So I had a little bit of time. So I downloaded uh, a podcast um, that had covered The Big Man just to listen to like a different kind of perspective. Yep. And I, I could only find one. And it was from last year. And it was two American guys that uh, decided to cover The Big Man Crossing the Line. It was part of their Irish film season that they were doing. They, they said because Liam Neeson was Irish um, and there were a few other Irish people in the film that they covered it. I, I, I don't know who else was Irish, but never mind. So they were discussing the um, the pub that they, they drink in at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. They were talking about uh, how much they loved it. So the guy said, uh, that one of the guys, and hey, excuse my accent here, but he said, uh, yeah, so uh, did you see the name of the pub that they go to? <laughs> uh, like when, when Danny meets the guy, like they go to this bar, this pub, and oh my God, it is like the greatest name for a pub I have ever seen in my entire life like every it, it's the greatest name i've seen in a movie ever and i'm thinking at this point fuck i need to go and watch this again because i missed <laughs> the name of the pub and he goes yeah so um so the the, the pub they go to is called the tenants lager <laughs> and, and like that is just the greatest name for a pub i've ever seen because this is where the tenants go to drink their lager. This isn't where the landlords go. The landlords will go somewhere else. But this pub is where the tenants will go to drink their lager. And I just thought that was fucking... No offense, guys. Tenants lager is like kind of Scotland's national lager. Mm. It, it, it would be like us reviewing an American film and saying, oh, yeah, so they go to the, the Budweiser, <laughs> the Budweiser uh, bar. to drink their beer, like seeing the, the kind of thing. But what I loved about it was that they mention it a few other times in the podcast. So they'll say, oh, yeah. So when he met uh, Billy Conley in the tennis lager, he was doing this. <laughs> so when they're talking about the bar that Liam Neeson goes to when he sees Hugh Grant and mm-hmm. Beth afterwards, he goes like, yeah. So he goes to this bar, uh, but this is a proper bar. Like, this has neon lights, it has customers. This isn't the tenant's lager. This is a proper bar that people will go to. Like, oh no, you wouldn't get the customers here going to the tenant's lager. Uh, so yeah, I, I, Jane, I just wanted to drop that in because I find that fucking hilarious. Although, and to be fair to them, we did have a bar in Aberdeen called the Bud Bar. And another bar in Aberdeen called the Bex Bar. <laughs> so that's a very valid point, Greg. Um, Didn't think about that. Yeah, but that tenant's lager sign. I really like that tenant's lager sign that, that you could oh, the, sort was, of the blue it was and white. Beautiful. Yeah, I think if I ever if I ever it built was... like a little home pub, you know, for you know, like you know, some guys kind of build like a little pub in their shed at the bottom of the garden or their garage. Mm. I quite like a tenant's lager sign like that. Just takes me back oh it was beautiful there's a scene in the pub that made me laugh a bit that that scene with uh, pat roach and ian bannon in the pub so when they approach the bar and 
Ian Bannon orders a gin and tonic, where it's like a snigger <laughs> from another patron. I assume at his choice of drink, but he's drinking a fucking half a lager. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but then what I love about that is that, but the guy lifts his pinky as he takes <laughs> oh, yeah, a sip, that's right. and then when Ian Bannon turns around and glares at him, he slowly puts the pinky down <laughs> and just puts it. And that's the, that's what I thought you were going to say. That's yeah, the yeah. funny part. Yeah, yeah. So gin and tonic and a pint of heavy. Heavy's obviously for bomber. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, yeah. That's what I liked about it. The the little pinky rays as if to say oh fancy gin and tonic and then (laughs) just puts it down again yeah um but you know apart i mean i I guess we've sort of spoken about most if not all of the the kind of main actors in this but there's a lot of uh, a lot a lot a lot of other actors who would go on to be become quite successful obviously there's there's julie graham um, who plays mm. Melanie, who does that quite funny sex scene with Billy Connolly, um, which made me laugh. Uh, well, the second the second scene when he's being interrogated by <laughs> Ian Bannon. There's Johnny Beatty, who is, uh, who was, you know, he wasn't an up-and-coming actor by any stretch, but I remember him being quite a big personality around Glasgow when I was a kid. He used to present a quiz show that used to be on through the week. Obviously, he... I think he's passed away now, but he was in River City from the beginning. Peter Mullen, you mentioned already. Uh, George Rossi. And I just found out that Mm. George Rossi just passed away in January this year um, of of Mm. prostate cancer. He would go on to being a a regular in the bill um, for five years um, among a a lot of other um, appearances in in a lot of quite big British dramas over the years. Not least, I bought a vampire motorcycle. <laughs> it's just a movie that it's a movie that I don't think I've ever seen, but it was one of those sort of VHS tapes that used to kind of do the rounds uh, when I was a kid, you know. And uh, Douglas Henshaw. Um, so mm. I yeah. I saw him. Obviously, he's in Cutty's. He plays Cutty's uh, brother, uh, the Cutty played by Rab Affleck, uh, who Liam Neeson fights. And I can see, I thought that looks like Dougie Henshaw in the back there. But I mean, I was thinking it's essentially, it's like an extras, it's like an extra role. It's like mm-hmm. an acting role. But then, of course, he does get his moment when he comes to the hotel and um, to tell, you know, looking for Danny because he's, because Cutty has lost his eyesight. And the scene between Liam Neeson and Rab Affleck, Rab Affleck's in the hospital. I, I thought that was the best scene of the whole film between the two yeah, of them. It's beautiful. It's a brilliant it's beautiful. scene. Really well acted. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. a crack, really well written. So you, Davey? Cutty. It's me, Danny Schooler. Pleased to meet you. Not your fault. Just a job. But you could be blind for Christ's sake. That's the way it goes. It's nobody's fault. I could be. Rab Affleck's first film hmm. performance, and effectively, if you discount, he's been in the previous twenty-five minutes fighting, but yeah. that's his first kind of acting scene mm-hmm. and he's brilliant yeah yeah it, it, it's a beautiful scene and the way he is just that's oh, fine you know it's just is it, what it is yeah the way it goes like, yeah yeah it's brilliant um absolutely fantastic but yeah as you say uh doogie henshaw um i had to 
exactly as you said, when I was watching it, I thought, that looks a little bit like a young Douglas Henshaw there. And then I had a look and I was like, oh, fuck, so it is. It, it, it's actually him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great performance. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he's got his very good. He's got he's got, he's got his few minutes there, and he yeah. he just goes for it, right? Just <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So I guess uh, before we talk about the the big fight, uh, which is basically the the whole point of the film, I think the one person we haven't spoken about is Pat Roach. Yeah, I'm saving him till last. I was quite disappointed that he was in it for such a brief period of yeah. time. He's basically in the first... If you're thinking that this is Mr. Mason's kind of go-to guy, why is he only in the first scene, effectively? But he, he does have a big impactful kind of scene with his pint of heavy and then starting on Peter Mullen and then having a fight with Danny. Pat Roach, what a legend. Oh, yeah. I mean, was, the the thing I love about... One of the, one of the many things I love about... Pat Roach and his career is that I was like famously uh, he plays one of the German soldiers in Raiders of the Lost Ark and he has a great scene a great fight scene with uh, Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones mm. under the bomber which is sort of uh, it's sort of um, poetic that he should have a fight under a bomber and go on to play a character mm. called Bomber but uh, Steven Spielberg liked him so much that he cast him as an Indian heavy in the Temple of Doom, who again has a, another fight <laughs> with Harrison Ford mm-hmm. in the Temple of Doom. But, I mean, just just like sort of wonderful personality like his his career over the years. I mean, you, you, you sent me the, the, yeah, I think it was yesterday you sent me his his bout with giant haystacks yeah. <laughs> worldwide in the world was it uh, ITV's wide, worldwide world of sport or something world um, of sport world of yeah. sport yeah you know so he's doing that he's also he's acting in stuff like uh, the new adventures of Robin Hood uh, Call the Conqueror you know Avida Zane Pet Steven Spielberg massive movies and stuff. Um, he's, he's even in The Last Crusade, I think, as well. Let's have a quick look. Yeah, he is. He yeah. is. He's basically an extra in The Last Crusade, yeah. but they did film a scene where Indiana Jones has a fight with him, but they cut it out, which I I wish they hadn't, but they, they kind of cut it out because they were like, it's maybe a bit ridiculous. But it mm. it's kind of, would have been a fucking great Easter egg to have him in all three films. Uh, he couldn't have do... Um, kingdom of crystal skull because yeah. he died obviously but yeah. uh, we don't count that as a indiana jones film no. anyway uh so yeah it's a shame that he he missed it i mean yeah pat roach i was a massive i still am massive avida zane pet fan I, I genuinely love that show I, I watched it when i was a kid i watched it when i was a teenager when they showed on channel four i own it on dvd i genuinely love that show and i love bomber and I, yeah i loved saturday afternoon wrestling i know it's a, a cliche but i used to watch it at my granny's house and i remember if you ask me name four saturday afternoon world of sport wrestlers it would literally be giant haystacks big daddy kendo nagasaki pat roach that's mm. I, I couldn't name you anymore but yeah. pat roach w- would be one of the ones i could name and you know that he was like european and british heavyweight champion at one point he fought his last match wrestling in 1998 at the age of 61 <laughs> he was still wrestling at 61 years old and then unfortunately he died like six years later mm. um do you know he auditioned to be darth vader uh, i didn't know that but it doesn't surprise me at all yeah um i, I i'm upset he lost out to dave Prowse now but it, his career might have taken a different turn but yeah 
it, he auditioned and it, it yeah it, when you when you say Pat Roach auditioned to be Darth Vader it doesn't sound surprising does no, it, it it's kind of a logical thing yeah yeah I mean, shame. I wish if, if, I, I would have loved to have had him as Darth Vader. They might have kept the voice. James Earl Jones maybe wouldn't have got the job if if Pat Roach had been able to do it. <laughs> Pat Roach with his with his brummy accent. <laughs> hmm. I mean, the thing is, I mean, like we as as Bomber in Afida's in pet. Although, like, obviously, he's a lot of the stuff that um, that he did as an actor was physical stuff. You know what I mean? That was like mm. need like a big heavy guy to throw somebody around or whatever. But he's actually a good actor as well. Like in in Afidazane yeah, yes, yeah. Pet. Um we should do an Afidazane Pet podcast. I don't understand why we're not doing it. Is anyone else doing it? Well let's do it. Uh let me check. But you know something? I would be well up for that. Yeah. I fucking love Afidazane Pet. Right. Yeah, we should. We should. Um, I, cause I I forgot that they brought it back in two thousand and four. Yeah, yeah, they took it back. They did like another three series thing. I mean, we could get quite complicated because I think Noel Clark is in some of the later series, and obviously he's been cancelled now <sighs> for wow. being a sex pest. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, that's the whole point of. That's why I love Bomber because he's like a gentle giant. He's mm. such a lovely guy. Jimmy nails the kind of hard case that kind of goes out and starts fights Mm -hmm. bomber is this huge guy and he's just such a gentle he just he's out there in germany earning money to send back to his daughter and Mm -hmm. his wife yeah and yeah wonderful let me check if there's enough you to say pet podcast (laughs) i can add that to the the grange hill podcast we're also planning yeah that to the the (laughs) we're we're full of good intentions if nothing else um what else oh yeah so the the score oh (laughs) Mm, yes I mean, yeah. you have to imagine that most of the budget for this movie probably went on uh, David Leyland, because quite an accomplished director. Yeah. Um, he had done Wish You Were Here, which was a massive uh, British film. But, oh, you know, Joanne Wally, or Joanne Whaley, I don't, I'm never sure how to say her name. Um, and <laughs> then probably uh, Aninio Morricone, uh, for his score because I mean, this, is a, this guy is a fucking legend of cinema. Can I... Can I just say to you that I was watching this and I didn't, I I genuinely didn't Google who was the composer. I didn't look anything up. And as I was watching it in my first draft of rough notes, I was like, this film score is very good. (laughs) And then I've written down, this sounds like the untouchables. Yeah. (laughs) And then I look at it and I'm like, ah, that'll be why it sounds like the untouchables because it's the same composer and pretty much kind of similar era. But yeah, absolute legend of uh of composing mm. absolute legend i mean did a lot of work with brian de palma and mm-hmm. i think scorsese and yeah sergio leone probably absolutely. yeah <clears throat> most famously um yeah i mean like if you look at his imdb i mean you're just going he even did the soundtrack not the soundtrack but the tournament tune for the 1978 world cup <laughs> wow <laughs> Um, for the TV, I couldn't tell you what that was. No, but, yeah, I, okay. I couldn't. Only just, only just, literally, <laughs> I think burst into the world. Uh, probably when it was going on. I think uh, being born in July, it was probably underway. Um, but yeah, it's just so much. You're, you're literally scrolling down for ages and ages. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I think probably you mentioned that they are just there. Like the Untouchables score is one of my favorite film scores. It fits the whole energy of the movie so well. That sort of urgent, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's brilliant. It's such such but a good uh, score. Did you 
did you think that when you were watching this? Did it ring kind of bells of the untouchables? It did. It did a bit, but I obviously saw his name come up in the opening credits. Mm. So, you know, I knew that, um, you know, I obviously knew that uh, he was doing it and we we were in for something special. You know, I think, you know, that he's, he only passed away in uh, 2020 at the age of 91 um, and was still working. I think probably his last high profile score was for the, the Hateful Eight, um, the Mm, the Quentin Tarantino movie. Although he's got loads of, a a lot of stuff, a a, a lot of short films, um, a lot of stuff in Italy um, where he's from, where he was from. But yeah, I mean, it's just, and for me, that's the whole kind of, it's the whole, that's what I'm looking for. It's the sort of surprise about this movie because the story is, it's, it's based on a book by a, a successful and reasonably well-known Scottish writer, but yeah. I think probably well-known in Scotland. I'm not sure that uh, William McAvaney's necessarily that well-known internationally. You've got people like Joanne Whaley, uh, who's in a particular peak of her career. You've got uh, David Leyden to direct. You've got Ennio Morricone doing the soundtrack. You know, I think this, it feels like somebody has thought this is going to be a kind of British cinema renaissance when this film comes out. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, obviously, I mean, looking at the box office, it, it didn't even make, it only made just over a quarter of a million um, dollars, unfortunately, um, in its box office. So it's it's it was a bit of a flop and certainly it was it didn't get um particularly good reviews like the radio times said the script turns cartwheels to gain resonance from margaret thatcher's duel with the miners but to little avail although time out did say it's one of britain's finest existential thrillers in ages so i guess maybe mixed reception but um obviously didn't do very well but it feels like a lot of people had really high hopes for the film, you know? And it, and yeah, success. I think so. And then who was to know that like eight years later, a guy, Richie, would effectively rip it off and make Snatch, which became yeah. a massive success. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is. You know, I mean, basically, Mason is Bricktop. And, <laughs> you know, but with a little bit, with less pigs and less menacing. But Snatch is kind of a little bit of a it's yeah. not but there's similarities there yeah um like rob roy the film is mostly shot in scotland uh, the mm. the village of colburn in south lanarkshire um is where like uh danny and beth and billy Conley live um and, you know, there's there's some there's some uh, shots from glasgow and edinburgh in the film as well it looks like it looks as though they've gone all the way to Spain for that one yeah sort of one shot few, yeah few minutes um, assassination shot. I feel like you could probably have done that in a studio. Uh, so yeah, it's a bit. It's in the one hand, I think it's a bit of a shame, and I, I think it's obviously. I think the version that we watched probably hasn't done the film any favors in the U.S. No, you know, um, I'm sure it was probably subtitled in the U.S. as well, in the same way that Train Spotting mm. was. Although I don't think there's any particularly broad um, Scottish accents. In fact, I've made a note here when Peter Mullen's character Vince makes the kind of little political speech in the pub near the start of the film i thought that he might even be it's because it sounds doesn't sound like peter mullen's scottish accent at all and i thought is he being overdubbed no no but i think he's very i mean because peter mullen's from 
Peterhead. Yeah. So he has got a very North accent, but he's such a, a wonderful chameleon that he can um, kind of do his accent. No, but it is a very low-key Scottish mm. accent he does. It doesn't sound like you a guy you'd get like in a rough and ready kind of pub in a little village of Colburn. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, I counted the words the big man are used 13 times in the script. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me, actually. Yeah, it does mention a lot. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing we haven't actually spoken about is uh, the whole point of the film is the fight. Yeah. We haven't actually spoken <laughs> yeah. about the big fight. Yeah. Uh, pretty well done. Yeah. I mean, it's it's believable. It's it's graphic. It's mm-hmm. There's a lot of set to. I mean, I could have done without seeing Liam Neeson getting his tits oiled up um, <laughs> just before the fight. There's quite a, a long lingering shot of him getting his big meaty boobs oiled it's a decent <laughs> fight i mean rab affleck is is very believable and good as cutty dawson yeah neeson is is great you kind of believe the fight it's it's not a a hollywood slugging it out punches it's a kind of you kind of believe it as a proper fight mm. like in terms of it's it's sluggish it's it's slow punches there is a a couple of bits where like neeson's like punching cutty in the the stomach and stuff that you're maybe a little bit like "Mm, don't know if that's a bit too much but yeah overall i mean and and it doesn't end with like a you know an rko or a rock bottom kind of you know hollywood finish type thing it ends in a total slugfest and you when he's slamming rab affleck's head off the concrete and you're thinking well that's it yeah rab comes back like the undertaker (laughs) shoots up and (laughs) gets him it becomes a bit of a sort of war of a towards the end mm. of the fight you know what i mean it's like you know like nobody is really ahead in the last sort mm. of five minutes you know like to your point you think that you think that danny's swung it when he's when he's pounding cut his head off the tarmac and stuff but then the kind of bell goes and they're back in their corners and cut comes out and you know like danny to be very very fair to david leyland it's really well shot scene and sort of Danny coming away the victor it's a bit like sort of the end of the first Rocky you know what I mean Mm. when you know both both fighters are totally fucked but Rocky is you know like Apollo's one but really it could have been could have been anybody's you know what I mean spoiler alert Greg fuck's sake like come on for what Rocky or the big man (laughs) both are Rocky (laughs) Um, (laughs) the only bit that didn't sit right with me but I can see why it was done was when the crowd kind of swell in Mm. towards the end because you're like okay well now I know the fight's gonna end now yeah because you're kind of wondering like how's this gonna go because they're knocking fuck out of each other but as soon as the crowd kind of hem them in you're like okay well it's obviously coming to a conclusion very soon Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. But other than that, I thought the fight was it was well shot. Yeah, it was believable and yeah, decent enough. Quite bloody, you know. When he's getting his eye cut, that's yeah, graphic and yeah, it it was decent enough. Was it sure about uh, about Neeson's grey joggy bottoms? Yeah, but then what are you going to fight in? He's not going to get custom shorts made, is he? I mean, he could have. Um, in fact. That's a good point. When he's leaving the village and the whole village come out to say goodbye to him, is that a lodge flag in the background there? An orange lodge flag. Well, yeah, that's what I'm wondering. There's a there's a big flag I to wave know. goodbye to him, and Could, it looks like a lodge flag to me. 
could have been like a miners club flag or something. Maybe I don't know. It's Maybe like a mining village. Don't know. Could just as easily be an orange flag, though. I mean, it, South <laughs> South Lanarkshire. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just want to. The only the, the type of flag that it is, it's I associate with orange lodges. So I don't know. Did, Maybe not. Maybe it's a miners flag or something. Did you enjoy the um, the Scotland jersey that uh, Liam's wee boys wearing? I think it's at the end. He's wearing the old late 80s uh, Scotland jersey with a white collar and the wee lines on it and stuff. I'll be completely honest, I did not notice that, ah. but I'll have to re-look for that. But, oh, no. Uh, oh, yeah, wonderful. I would have enjoyed that if I'd paid yeah, attention, yeah. but I was must have been watching something else at the time. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, right, is it time to put the big man through our Swally Awards? I think it is, Greg, yeah. Um. Before we do, I wanted to potentially, and I should have done this in the production notes at the start, I I kind of wanted to maybe moot, not a new award, okay. but a new category before we do this. So this is episode 43 of the Culture Swally. And two episodes don't count because they were a tribute to Sean Connery and the best of the news. Yeah. Still available wherever you get your podcast. So we have done 41 episodes, if we include this, and... 33 of those feature a pub or drinking establishment. So okay. that's over 80, 80% of what we cover, which says a lot about Scotland. That's going to say. Features a pub <laughs> or a drinking establishment. And it's probably skewed in terms of, in terms of like train spotting, for example. I think that features like, from my memory, like maybe five like pubs mm-hmm. or nightclubs yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what I was going to propose is the bobby the barman award for if a pub or drinking establishment features in an episode would we drink in this pub simple yes or no okay so i I, i'm not gonna and if more than one features we pick which one we would like to drink in most so in this one we have the pier i can't remember is it pier 79 the one with the neon lights Mm -hmm. and then we also have the tenants lager <laughs> so which one would you drink in the tenants lager or the pure 79 i think the tenants lager because i love i love 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 like a proper traditional kind of community boozer okay so it's a, it's a yes for me i would drink yeah. at the tenants lager as well okay so yeah there we go that's the new category the i, I was thinking yeah Bobby the Barman Award, is that okay? Do you think? Yeah, or? yeah, no, that's, yeah, it's a belter. Yeah. I just have to make sure that, yeah. I, that I make a note of it so I don't forget about it for the yeah. next one. It's it's only if a, a pub features in the, the film. Uh, but as I say, we're currently at over 80% of what we featured has at least one <laughs> pub or drinking establishment. I mean, even Rob Roy has say. a fucking pub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm struggling to think of anything that we've, delete, that we've reviewed that doesn't have a pub in it somewhere. We went through a little run, um, two doors down, doesn't right? Uh, when we did the Christmas and then the Crankies Christmas special, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, I and then I think there was I still can't believe like we did the Crankies. <laughs> um, uh, Braveheart doesn't have a pub. Yeah, it? that's right. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. I, I, this was from my kind of. I didn't watch everything over again. <laughs> um, I was trying to remember. Like I, I don't know. Like Shallow Grave. I don't know. Is there a pub in Shallow Grave? Like they... I, I think I. There's the Cayley, isn't there? Yeah, and I did. I put it down as a yes because yeah. there is a Cayley. So any kind of thing like that, you know, like even the high life, I put down because they go to a hotel bar yeah. at one point. Yeah. So yeah, I put that down. So yeah, um, there's yeah, literally only a, a few 
that don't feature. Yeah. So, um, okay. Well, yeah. Bobby the Bomberman. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Let's put it through the proper awards then. Okay. What have we got first? Right. So the first one uh, that I've got is the Ewan McGregor Award for Gratuitous Nudity. Well, I think we can all agree it's the the very lingering nipple look. Julie Graham. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's quite a, a, a longing kind of lick. Of the nipple. So yeah, I think we'll put that as uh, nudity. Okay. The James Cosmo Award for being in Everything Scottish. I was kind of torn between this. I mean, I think Ian Bannon is the mm-hmm. the go-to answer. I did have Rab Affleck as a kind of second choice because he has been in quite a lot of yep. uh, pretty much everything he's done has been Scottish. But yeah, I had Ian Bannon I think, uh, slash Rab Affleck. What about yourself? Well, I, I, I had uh, Ian Bannon and Morris Reeves because um, he's hmm. done a lot of Scottish stuff over the years, albeit uh, we haven't always managed to... We haven't had him on the podcast before, I don't think. But uh, yeah, but I think probably Bannon just nips him, mm-hmm. I think. Um, okay. I did, I did yeah, not, go with Bannon. I did notice in Ian Bannon's IMDb that one of his first movies is called She Said No! Exclamation mark. One can only assume that that's good. Yeah. All right, the next one is the Jake McQuillan Yurtizu Award. Um, for this one, as much as it pained me to see it happen, I had to give it to Liam Neeson for knocking out Pat Roach in the pub car park at the start. That's exactly what I had. I think yeah. I, I went for the whole um, theatre of him asking him out, effectively saying, you know, Alan doesn't like fights in his pub. Yeah. And then him knocking him out. Yeah, that's what I went for too. Francis Begbie Award for gratuitous swearing. I mean, it, it's not, considering the subject matter of the film and the types of characters that are depicted, it's not a particularly sweary film. What did you go with? I thought it was. Did you? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go first, Greg, because I might need to bleep out my best use of swearing. I think we need to have a production meeting afterwards to decide <laughs> if I can say my best use of swearing. <laughs> I mean, so you go first. I mean, I gotta be honest. I couldn't really remember any swearings. I didn't. I didn't make my awards uh, notes when I was watching the film. Um, I kind of made them today, and I was when I was thinking back, I couldn't think of any particular bits of swearing that stood out. There's, there's a few good ones, I think. Yeah, there's there's a couple of scenes with Conley and Neeson that they say about uh, being a fucking fucker or something yeah okay so you haven't given anything no so. it's all on okay. you so in the um in the fight uh at the beginning when they come out of the tenants lager and <laughs> danny and bomber are about to have a fight there's a there's a crowd that comes out mm. and it's general kind of crowd roar like <laughs> there's four lines <laughs> that you can clearly hear these men shouting now what i'm about to say i do not agree with However, I find it fucking hilarious because I've I've invented this story in my head, right? I've invented this story that these men, because where this was filmed in Colburn, I think a lot of the guys were genuinely extras like, yeah, from yeah. the town. So I think that like the director has said to these guys, Look, just come out, right? Like, so you're away to watch this fight, just shout stuff. Just shout whatever you you think. Just you're away to watch a fight. Come on. Just shout stuff, yeah? So, in this scene, clear as day, you can hear four lines. So, the first one is, Get into that bastard, Dan. 
that's fine. fine. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, good, yeah. One. good one. Good yeah. one. And then the next goal is uh, show him what you're fucking made of, Danny. Again, which, you know, fine. again, good. Yeah, yep. I, I like the next one, which is uh, come on, Danny. It's a fucking doddle, which, you know, nice little yeah. old kind of Scottish doddle, yeah. And nice encouragement there, yep. Yeah, yeah. And then the last guy gets really carried away and goes, get into that big fucking... <laughs> 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 which, yeah. do not condone the use of that word on this welly. We might bleep that out. But in my head, I've continued that story. And Pat Roach has heard someone shout that and he stopped the fight and turned round and went who fucking said that <laughs> who fucking said that and then giving the guy a ddt on the concrete <laughs> yeah. uh so yeah that's my um that's my best use of swearing the the extras getting carried away in that yeah. scene. pat roach picks up a public warning for <laughs> slapping one of the extras with a closed fist okay. Come on. <laughs> so the next one is archetypal scottish moment now, for this one, I had Beth's mother, played by very, very, uh, very well-known Scottish actress, Amanda Walker. Um, mm. when, when she's putting out the... She's, when she's trying to impress uh, Hugh Grant's character when he comes round for tea and she's putting out the cakes oh, and yeah, stuff, yeah. scones mm. and fancies and stuff, it just it yeah. really evoked... Um, memories of my own grandparents and stuff back uh, when I was a little yeah. boy. Yeah. I love a good fancy. What did, uh, <laughs> That's very nice. What did you have? Um, I went for when Danny goes to the bar, uh, as in the proper bar, not the tenant's lager. I promise that's the last time I'll do that. I, I, genuinely, it's the last time I'll do it. When he goes to the bar and he sits down with the, the Indian gentleman and mm-hmm. he cuts to him just going, you all right, mate? And then cuts back five minutes later, and they're talking about the greatest Scotsman ever. Yeah, know, in terms of it's like, a good oh, scene. we invented this, we invented this, we did this. Oh, yeah, I yeah. forgot about Rabbi Burns. That is an archetypal Scottish moment because you put two Scotsmen in a pub together, and yeah. you will just start speaking about the best Scottish people ever yeah. and talking <laughs> about, oh, but, but we invented the telephone, we invented penicillin, we invented, you know, this. Yeah, that for me was the archetypal yeah. Scottish moment. That's true, especially if. You're not in Scotland, and you just get chatting yeah. to us, and then you end up yeah. get getting a bit loosey goosey, and basically just convincing yourself that Scotland is the best country in the world. Everybody else, is, everybody else is pish. If it wasn't for Scotland, the world would be fucked. <laughs> and that's what we do every fortnight, Greg, on this one. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> Um, okay, then the final award, uh, or Sean Connery Awards, otherwise known as who won the movie or who got to go home and fuck the prom queen. Who did you have? Billy the dog. Billy the dog. Yeah, we, 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 didn't Billy talk, the dog. we didn't talk about the problematic scene where I don't want to talk about that. Frankie I don't want to talk about attempts it. to murder Billy the dog. I, I purposely didn't talk about <laughs> last week, last episode, when Tim Roth shoots the dog. Oh, yeah. I forgot about uh, that. I mean, I kind of I kind of forgot about it. I, I, it was my <laughs> birthday. I'd had a couple of drinks. Um, I, I did put in my notes, can we stop watching stuff where dogs get hurt, please? Because I don't want to see this. But... Uh, to be fair, when Frankie does throw Billy the dog off the bridge, I mean, thank God, because when he's got the rope round his neck, I did think, is he about to hang this dog? Yeah. Thankfully, he throws him in the water. As soon as he did it, I did think, we haven't seen the last of Billy the dog. Yeah. Like, I I knew he was going to come back. So it was yeah. okay. And thank God he did. Uh, yeah, Billy the dog wins it for me. Yeah. 
Yeah, agreed. I mean, you saw, you saw. I mean, his reason—it's a bit of a weak part of the whole plot, anyway. Like his reason for feeling that he has to kill off the dog is that he doesn't want to take it back to Beth because he sees Beth going out on a date with uh, Hugh Grant's character Gordon. So rather than just dropping the dog off, going back to Danny, saying fuck all about the date, he feels <laughs> that he has to fucking throw the dog in the Clyde. <laughs> Well, but Danny's reason for getting rid of Billy the dog is almost as bad because he farts in the night and I can't <laughs> sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, there are some like little kind of moments in this film where, like, that scene you mentioned before about the conversation with uh, Danny and the Indian guy in the bar talking about the great Scotsman. The whole conversation that Billy Conley has with Billy the dog before he throws hmm. him in the river is quite funny. Yeah. Now listen, Billy, I want you to understand this. This is absolutely nothing personal, right? And I'm sure you appreciate my hands are absolutely tight. I mean, if I take you back, the shit's really going to hit the fan, isn't it? And I know, deep in my heart, if the positions were reversed, you would do exactly the same. Oh, please, don't wag your tail. You know, these yeah. little, these little throwaway bits of humour. And again, it, it might just be that the cut of the film that we saw... I mean, if we saw the full cut of the film again, the humour might sit better alongside the kind of serious drama. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll give it to Billy the dog, I think. He he can go home and fuck the prom queen and then wake her yeah. up by farting in the night. <laughs> if, I'd, if I didn't give it to Billy the dog, I'd give it to Rab Affleck. But if I had to give it to a human... But otherwise, it's Billy the Dog. Yeah, I mean, I know I said it before, but, you know, like, Rab Affleck, he's extraordinary in that scene in the hospital with Liam Neeson. Yeah. I mean, he's beautiful. I mean, he's, he's easily, easily as good an actor in that moment, in that scene, as Liam Neeson. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, it's fantastic. Okay, uh, well, that was The Big Man. I've just noticed in my notes there that I forgot to mention at the beginning of the podcast that it was Ur Willie's birthday uh, on the 9th of March. Hmm. It was first published in 1936. Still hasn't he got any pubes. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe <laughs> he does. No idea. I've, I've never looked on his dungarees. But yeah, happy I mean, I guess it was, I, guess, I think the Bruins came out at the same time, so I suppose it's the Bruins' birthday as well. Yeah. Oh, uh, happy birthday. Maggie Brun, still an enchantress after all these years. Daphne Brun, not so much. Um, okay, so it was my pick, the big man, for this week. It's your turn for the next episode. So what is your what's your pick? Uh, well, Greg, I think uh, 2022, we've got off to a very wrong and bad start. There has been <laughs> okay. too much masculinity on this pod. Ah. Uh, We've literally just done bare knuckle boxing in The Big Man. Last episode, we had sword fights in Rob Roy. Mm -hmm. We had violence in Just Another Saturday. Mm -hmm. Christ, even in, and I would say the most masculine of all, in the nuclear family, we had Joe with his weights. Like, yeah. that's just, that is the epitome of man. So I would like to take a little break from this toxic masculinity that we're promoting here and i'd like to look at a little film about a group of catholic schoolgirls from the highlands who get an opportunity to go to edinburgh for a choir competition i would like to look at the 2019 film our ladies oh, i've never even heard of it so i look forward i to had it. not even heard of it until about two weeks ago greg and i've heard about it four times in the last two weeks 
and it just popped up on Netflix, which is why oh. I have suggested it. So okay. I will tell you all about the the different reasons I'd heard about it, and uh, we can discuss it next episode. Brilliant. As well. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can follow us on Instagram at Culture Swally Pod, or you can follow us on Twitter at Swally Pod. Or, hey, if you want to email us with anything that you've seen online or anything you'd like us to review or subscribe, or, hey, if you just want to send us a little email just to say how much you like the podcast, would be welcome to that. You can uh, email us on cultureswally at gmail.com. And if you want to give us a little rating, review, subscribe to us on iTunes, I think you can uh, rate on Spotify now. So if you want to do that, then you can, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, I think that's um, the uh, the tidy housework done. Oh, Greg's got something now. Didn't we get a nice message on Twitter when we announced our return? Oh, we did. We did, Greg. You're right. I forgot about that. Yes, we did. Should we give it a mention? <laughs> uh, we got a lovely message. Um, we announced we were coming back on uh, Twitter. Uh, we said we were back due to our hiatus and we we're coming back. And we got a lovely message from Laura Burrows who said, thank God I've missed the show. It's my favourite podcast. Thank you, Laura. Oh, you thanks, are Laura. one of our favourite listeners. Yeah. Appreciate that. Thanks, Laura. And if you felt like yeah. it, you could go on uh, iTunes and... Give us a wee review. It yeah, all helps. There you go. Right, I am off to go and dig out my Avidasane pet box set and <laughs> have a look and see if there's any Avidasane pet podcasts out there. <laughs> what are we going to call it? Bombers? Uh, bombers? I don't know. I, I need to think about that. I need a pen and paper to think about that. <laughs> Moxie's Moments. Moxie's Moments. Um, or yep. something. Moxie's Moments. That's not bad, actually. It's quite pretty like good. That. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. All right, we'll have a think about that. Okay, right. Well, uh, until next time, Greg. Until next time. Penicillin, Sir Alexander Fleming, Simpson, Chloroform, Tarmacadam. No, but listen, listen, we've left out the great Scotsman of them all, Robbie Burns. Okay, we're a curious and restless race, us Scots. Yeah, we're empty everything. I mean, look at the things we've discovered and invented. So many things, right enough. You'd have trouble playing this game with Hungarians. <laughs>